Chris Wendelkin, and this is On the Line, my NBA podcast where I talk to different friends of mine living around the country about all things NBA hoops. If you're new to the show, you can tweet at me at onthelline underscore pod. Uh, you can send me any NBA questions to onthelinepod at gmail.com. Check out previous episodes on our website, onthelinepodcast.com. Last, if you could rate, review, subscribe to the show in Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts, I greatly appreciate it. All right, you guys are in for a treat today. I'm talking with my good friend, Billy Scafuri. Billy uh, is a comedian living out in Los Angeles. Very funny guy, uh, big NBA hoops fan. We're going to do a little chat about all things fantasy sports. We're going to talk about the NBA playoffs coming up, and then we will uh, touch base real quick on the beginning of the Major League Baseball season. Um, So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this little chat. Here is the one, the only, Billy Scafuri. All right, Billy Scafuri is on the line. Bill, uh, baseball season is uh, is here. It's opening up. The NCAA tournament's underway. The NBA playoffs are about to begin. Spring has sprung here in New York City. Bill, how you feeling? How's everything out in Los Angeles? I'm feeling great. I want to give you and the listeners a heads up okay. that the building that I live in yes. um, is getting plumbing done. Okay. And simultaneously. There's plumbers everywhere right now. Like I have about 16 windows or so in my apartment. And if you look out any one of those windows at any time, you'll see at least two to three plumbers. Uh Just they're like hover. They're like floating around my complex, like like vultures almost. Like they're gonna they're going to attack. How many? They're going to come into my. How many plumbers are we talking? I don't have a hard number, but I would say between 400 and 800. Oh my Um, god. But Jesus. So I only I only bring this up so that if there's a moment mm-hmm. where uh, we got a knock on the door, sure. that might be because plumbers who have been doing plumbing might need to spackle a hole in my bathroom. Hey, so we might we might have a spack attack. I would love case, a spack attack. And if those plumbers right, so want to if those plumbers want to come on the line, FYI, they okay. are they are more than welcome. If you want to okay. turn this into a speakerphone situation, those guys are that more than welcome. That will have to be a speakerphone stitch because, yeah. like I said, we're probably floating around seven hundred plumbers around my complex. Jesus, Jesus, yeah. I yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. Well, good to know. Good to know about the plumber mm-hmm. sitch. Bill, yeah. so uh, does it feel like spring in Los Angeles right now? Like, I, you know, like the weather in L.A. is pretty consistently like perfect all the time. But I feel like for yeah. me here living in New York City, like the seasons changing are as much like psychological and like cultural as they are about the weather. You know, if that makes sense. Like I really associate coming out of like the dreary cold winter with like heading into the NBA playoffs or, or yeah. in the case of the Knicks, like heading into the NBA live. Lottery. Um, right. do, do you get that sense in LA that something is changing that like we're moving from the regular season into the playoffs or that baseball's about to start? Like wh- what's that like living in LA? No, you could tell me tomorrow's Christmas and I'd believe you. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, that's kind of the LA experience. It's almost like you come here to remove information from right. your daily life. <laughs> it's, and so it's almost just like, oh, it's baseball season. Okay, sure. Right. Oh, it's daylight savings. Right. Sure. Right. Sure. Is it June? Um, is it March? Is it February? You never really no yeah right but i would say that los angeles is a distinctly good sports city yeah and it feels like um there's no you don't have to search for what like the next sports thing that's happening in los angeles it feels like it's very kind of it's just pervasive when a new thing like when the lakers are bad you can't avoid hearing it the clippers are good can't avoid hearing it the dodgers are about to start everyone's going to dodger stadium these are just like it's so it's good in that like 
the seasons may stay consistent, but the sports fans are active enough where you can tell, okay, we're heading into the playoffs and LeBron won't be there. Definitely. Well, yeah, people really care about sports in LA. And the other thing is that because the weather is always nice, there's never any reason you can't go out and do something. You know what I mean? Like even, even if it's an indoor event, you know, it's like, there's never, there's never a snowstorm preventing you from getting to Staples Center to watch the Laker game or. And I grew up like you in Long Island. And what that means is that, like you said, the weather can be pretty brutal at times and you know on sundays in long island football sundays specifically yeah. games start at one second game at four and right. the, when the four o'clock games end it's like seven fifteen. it's dark it's, mi- it's midnight dark out yep and you feel disgusting yep yep like yep. even if you are a good person inside and out you're like i was just in a dark bar yep. and now it's dark out and like i did nothing today but in Los Angeles, football games start at 10, second game at 1, and at 4, you still have a Frisbee catch. It's incredible. You know, it's like, you're like, oh, I'm still alive. The world is still, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there is something to be said about all of that. So, yeah. yes, this and going to games, getting to organize Saturday basketball games that are outdoor yep. and never, ever having to consider the weather. Like I said, you it's move such here a luxury. because you want less information. Yes. You know, you want an easier life. And yes. At least it provides that. <laughs> oh, it's such a luxury. Oh, my God. Oh, my. I was just yeah. talking to a friend the other the other day who lives in Chicago, and uh, he has two small kids now. You know, and he's like, how you doing? I'm like, you know, I'm just ready for the weather to warm up. He's like, tell me about it. Like, literally, once it's springtime, I will save 10 minutes every morning in terms of putting jackets on my kids. You oh, know? yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. man. Like, Jesus. Yeah. I don't miss, like... New York restaurants in the winter where it's Backpacks. like New York restaurant. There's, there's no space in New York city uh, to begin with. So yeah. when you just shrink it down to a restaurant, there's even less space. Yeah. And so it's like when you sit down and you have to take off your jacket, Puffy your sweater, jacket. Yep. your backpack, yep. and you have to crush it into the <laughs> 20 inches that they allow for your 40 inch ass. Uh, it's, all, it's like, this math is not going to work out. It's what do just, we do here? Yeah. It's, it's a tough place. It's a tough place in the winter. Uh, and this but, is that good sports talk people expect from yes, online. Yes. Billy sizing asses versus seat <laughs> ratios in New York City. I love it. Well, that's what makes the springtime and, and coming into springtime and sports in the springtime all the more sweet in New York City is because it's been in this dreary winter and we are ready for something exciting to happen so oh, there's a very distinct day in new york where growing like in the city i lived in new york city like mm. between queens and new york for my entire 20s and there's a very distinct day in new york city where the sun finally like really yep. comes out for the first time yep. and if you just go to union square on 14th street it's yep. like you can see skin <laughs> like it's like the day where it's like, yeah. oh my god, that's a shoulder. Yes, you know, like I haven't seen a shoulder in like what feels like a lifetime, and it's like that's a man or woman's shoulder. This is Dude. so refreshing. I mean, even seeing honestly, even seeing someone in a fleece jacket as opposed to a puffy jacket is a revelation. Oh. It's huge. Oh, it's, yeah, it's huge. yeah, right. It's like it's like less survival is necessary yes. right now. Oh, yes. So yes. I'm with yes. you, yes. Yes. with you, a hundred percent. All right, Spring, well, yeah. Bill, I want to uh, I want to congratulate you on another. Oh. Your successful year GMing your fantasy basketball team, uh, and, yes. and not only GMing, but you're also the commish of our wonderful league, and you did a fantastic yeah. job this year. Doesn't um, require much when the GMs understand. Ah, uh, you know well, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun when the GMs are all engaged; they're super competitive, yeah. and that's certainly the case in our league. Yeah, it's everyone but Amir. I would say Amir, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's probably listening to this, yes. is the um, antidote to... I would say uh, Amir like proudly like does not care about our league. It's almost like a point of pride. Yeah, he's a good one. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's a good villain, but go on. Uh, well, I was just going to ask, you know, looking back on your on your team, what was the experience of playing fantasy basketball like this year? Like, were, did you have any new revelations about the game that you noticed as a result of mm-hmm. your fantasy team? Any sort of trends, mm-hmm. anything like that? Any special mm-hmm. players you enjoyed watching or guys we you want to keep, keep, keep an yeah. eye on? We have a keeper league, and it's been a keeper league for the past couple of years. And the rules are basically that you get to keep one guy you, who you drafted after the sixth round or so yeah. and held on to for the duration of the season. Right, you, can, right. you have the option to keep him or whoever you kept the previous year. Yeah. And I'm starting to feel that now. We're about in the fourth year of that. And you had Joel Embiid and a few other yep. people had like KP. Yep. And now like – the the players who you kind of took on a whim four years ago, if you were smart enough to hold on to them, even through injury like you, they're really starting to become the NBA elite. And now it's really starting to pay dividends. Whereas I've always kind of been like hopping along from like, maybe this guy would be my keeper to this guy would be my keeper. And I'm basically stuck in this second tier. Ricky Rubio is my keeper. And while he's good, it's like he's someone you draft in the seventh round. You know what I mean? There's no sort of like real value to that. So that's one thing I felt for the first time in our league. And I bet other keeper owners or dynasty owners can feel the same way where it's like when the league exists for long enough, then you really can start to see like, oh, this person played it smart with their keeper. They have a distinct advantage moving forward. So that was one thing. And the other thing that I would say I learned from this league um, that maybe you've experienced as well is um, we play in a head-to-head, week-to-week um, format during the regular season where whoever, whichever you play against one other GM and whoever has the most of each category gets one point and scores shake out to like seven, three, and one. It's like 11 categories. But one thing that people started to complain about in the playoff format is that while the scoring stays the same, you're really handcuffed to the amount of games certain players play throughout the course of a week. Because you, you change your rosters um, daily, and there's no limit to how many. There's six. You can have six free agents, but there's no like cap on how many games your team can play collectively over the course of the week. So, say you have a Russell Westbrook who's like carried your team this whole year, a Harden, a Jonas, a Carl Anthony Towns. First week of the playoffs, they only have a game on Monday and Saturday. It's just like it turns out it's like a travel week for them or something. You're totally burned by that, and there's nothing you can quote unquote do about it. And this is the first year where I've seen GMs come to me as the commissioner and be like, "In the off season, is there a way that we can like, yeah, circumvent this problem moving yeah. forward?" And I, mean, I can't come yeah. up with the solution to that quite yet. Know. But it's a yeah. I feel like an extension and an extension to that thought. Something I've noticed through fantasy basketball this year about where the NBA is at is. I'm still uh, and I'm still experiencing this with my team in the second round of the playoffs is the changing nature of how coaches like handle player rest and manage minutes. And sure. it seems like increasingly guys are sitting for things like load management or uh, just on back-to-backs. Awful, for, awful. Like, there's got to be a better way of saying that, right? <laughs> yes. Like, are we, like, Can so, we just call it no rest? One, yeah. Like, are, it seems like the trend is that we're going to try and push this through as a normal thing, people say. But no one, it's not, <laughs> like, that's way beyond normal. You know to what I mean? To someone's like, load? come on. Who yeah. wrote that, a 13-year-old? <laughs> like, come, we're really going to just keep saying that? Like, load it's normal? management. Like, we can't. Yeah. 
can't yeah. normalize that. No. There's certain things we have to stop in its tracks. I don't know. I think Woj, <laughs> Woj has like pushed it into the ether and we've just accepted it as a normal well, thing. Well, this is, this is Billy pushing back and okay. saying we You're... don't have to be sheep okay. about this whole load management. Okay. We could call it rest. Let's just rest call it rest. Was <laughs> fine. Rest was fine. Uh, so we <laughs> didn't need an improvement. I'm sorry. No, um, no. Yes, you're right. I do. I do agree, though, that this it feels like it's a newer trend. It definitely yeah. felt more like in the um, NFL when your team has meaningless games and now you're really just playing for like nothing that you will rest like stars because like why get them hurt in weeks 15 and 16 and 17. But the NBA is different. We both play FanDuel with Amir and a couple of other friends of ours. And, and, and you and I have reaped the benefits of this, you know, in terms of like guys playing uh, replacement guys, you know, like, you know, Mike Conley has a balky knee. So DeLon Wright is going to suddenly going to play 40 minutes. You know, it's great right. when it's like a one night scenario, but it's right. when, and I think when that's you, kind of, when that's you, inherent to FanDuel, though. Yes. Wouldn't you agree that, like, you, that's like, that's not, I think that's inherent to winning is that you can't just pick the names, but you have to see why tonight, why this guy tonight. So, you know, I think totally. that comes with Yeah, it it's sure. like, what's the, I mean, it's, it's like if you're going to draft James Harden, you want to trust that he's going to be there and playing when the games really matter and not mm-hmm. being rested for load management uh, down, right. the, rest, down the stretch. I, but just, it's kind of interesting to see who is getting this rest. Like, Harden will not get a load management night. You know what I mean? His team is like too thick in the jockeying for uh, spots where it's like, we can't afford that. LeBron on the other hand, or like Anthony Davis who like, they're just trying to keep healthy throughout. It's like, there's no reason, quote unquote, reason to play them. And so it's like, of course you have to like, regarding FanDuel, consider like, what is this person's overall circumstance? You know what I mean? Why do you think it is? Like, why do you think that we're seeing some of those changes from coaches in terms of like player rest and protect I think it's a health. business. Yeah. I think it's a business and you have to identify when certain when certain decisions bring you back zero value. Yeah. You know, it's like, like LeBron can give you a yeah. quadruple double and it's like to what end? You you're not making the playoffs. Right. You might exhaust him, you risk injury, you have him under contract for a few more years. Game games will certainly be more meaningful at another time right. and that's when I won't be doing this load management. Right. But like it's like the question becomes like is it entertainment where it's for the fans and you're just trying to provide like a show and therefore you have to put on like the best show or is it a business? And it's kind of both. And so that's why you see these players playing like Anthony Davis playing a, like a hard cap at 20 minutes. It's like, I see the kind of push pull, you know? Yeah, you're right. It's just a proposition of like what, what, like what risk is worthwhile? You know, like a guy like Kawhi Leonard, it seems, sits every two or three games. He just sits right. out. But it's because the Ra- the Raptors are the second seed in the East. They're not going to get right. the first. They're not going to fall to third. So they might as well just keep him healthy and happy as he heads into free agency. But it so does I seem, would argue yeah. that I would argue that he that is a that is that one doesn't sit as clean to me as. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. end of the season mm-hmm. like i get he's coming off a serious injury but like just like a year or two ago i felt like people were killing popovich right. for like just like not playing his starters one game and like this one feels like an even more egregious version of oh, like absolutely. he's gonna finish playing like 55 games this season yeah it's without crazy. without injury i get but like simultaneously like it's just that that's that felt almost like really he's not gonna play any back-to-backs he'll show up in the playoffs be great but like fascinating why can't lebron do that why can't other teams you know what i mean yep it does seem with someone like Kawhi that 
you know, I can't help like escape that. Like there is this player empowerment thing that's happening in the league right now. And part of some of what this seems to be about is like keeping people happy, keeping like star players happy and like comfortable with their situation. And I think Toronto is partially like trying to make a sales pitch to Kawhi about like, Hey, look, if you stay here, if you stay in Toronto long-term, like we're going to be really cognizant of your health. We're not going to push you too hard. Like we, we have a great supporting cast around you. We can win games. Like we can give you nights off if you're not feeling well. Um, right. It's but a, does he seem like the type of player that like needs to be coddled? He feels like a blue collar guy who like takes his lunch pail to work and just like does his job. Like it doesn't seem like he would require that. I know. Um, yeah. I don't know what yeah, it is. Yeah. His, is a, his is a more fascinating case. Like was his injury that devastating? I don't that, even like, know what he, the injury was. It, it was still so like we like he had some sort of like quadricep issue or something. Like it's very right. Right. Yeah. I think he also has the added benefit of us not being more critical about it because he's not a traditional superstar, yeah. which means that like he doesn't like like we we covet the opportunities to see players on the Golden State Warriors like Steph and Durant. We covet the opportunities to see LeBron. We cut, co- you know, we covet like almost like Trey Young at this point. There's certain players yeah. that's like almost like much must watch TV. Yes. And like he is like so he, he like doesn't he doesn't he's never like uh, tried to sell that about himself. And so it's like him not playing 30 percent of the games, 20 percent of the games, almost like we don't miss it. If that makes sense, maybe Toronto fans do, but from a national perspective, I don't think we miss it in the same way we would if it was like, LeBron, just play your LeBron. You just mentioned uh, covet, like people we covet watching, and and you said the name Trey Young. I know we were texting the other day, and Amir said that you had this take that you felt Trey Young should maybe be the most improved player. You you felt like he's improved the most over the course of the year. Isn't that a good take? I love that take. take? I love that take. Um, (laughs) When I I, I thought of that, I was like, good take. Take Good Bill. take, I Bill. You're about to redefine most improved player. What that could possibly mean? Why have you enjoyed watching him so much uh, on on that uh, Atlanta Hawks squad? I've been watching. So you and I are both in the over under league. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, I think, through buckets on your yep. podcast. Yep. And basically, what we did was we picked like eight teams, and based on their Vegas odds of how many games Vegas said they would win, uh, we could pick over that or under that. And at the end, we would get a collective score of how yeah. right and wrong we were. And so I picked uh, the hawks were set to win like 21 and a half games wow. this season and, and that was the uh, the worst by vegas they said they would have the lowest amount of wins and i knew so little about them but i was like why not it just feels like good money to you know say like the most egregious choice they made and bet against it and so i, I just kind of had like half an eye on the hawks but when you have league pass um mm-hmm. like we do mm-hmm. it's like you can just choose which random games to watch yep. and so i found myself watching the hawks early on and they were like they didn't have John Collins granted, but they were also like a team without a, like, I think the metaphor is like a ship without a rudder where it was just like yeah, every yeah. game, you had no idea what it was really going to be. It was just kind of like a science experiment. Place. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was just like no team play established yet. And like Trey young was like turning the ball over. I think he was 100% finding his game. And again, without John Collins, but all the same, like it was just like, it was really messy and looked really like youthful and like, this team is going to win less than 21 and a half games. And then like Trey young, like John Collins came back, but like more to the point, Trey young just like started playing with this, like, as if like he figured out how he plays in the NBA, like how, how, like how aggressive he can be and how much of a team leader he can be. And he has just been so dynamite to watch. And the key for my money now has like, 
rose to like the rank of like one B elite point guards. Like wow. he, for my money, is like a six or seven best best point guard. Like he's just and that team too. It's like if you guys have league pass and you're listening. Like the Hawks are just such a fun watch. They're how would you score describe, 130. Yeah. Go on. How would you describe Trey Young's game to someone who's like never seen him play? Kind of reckless. Mm-hmm. Um, like fast and reckless, but like he sco- like he shoots like no. he knows he's the best shooter on the team. Right. He passes with confidence. Like you can expect most games like eight plus assists from him. He plays fast. Ali like, specialist, right? He's just lobbing yeah, the ball up there, right? Yeah, kind of like when um like back in the day when Paul, Chris Paul mm-hmm. and Tyson Chandler were on the uh New Orleans whatever they were called at the time. Uh, uh Bobcats were Hornets? They the Hornets? I think yeah, they uh, they've been many things. Charlotte yeah. Bobcats, yeah, right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, those floaty kind of just John Collins easy uh, yep. alley-oops. He's just like I say reckless and simultaneously like the next word I would use is almost like really smooth with it too. Like he's just this kid's like legit. Like it's kind of like when Steph Curry came out of Davidson and you're like, yeah, but look at him. Like that can't be exactly like elite. And then they, you're like, Oh, but that's your skill set. That really is your skill set. So over the course of the season, I've just watched him become really, really airtight with his game and like single, not single handedly, but like be the leader of a team that is now at like 26 or 27 wins with like 10 to go. They're just like a, a good team. And he has improved tenfold over the course of the season well it's really fun to see a team like empower a young player you know like like you were saying the the hawks were projected to win 20 what 20 21 games this year so they kind of knew what the expectation was and they're like which is yeah no expectation screw it like the the expectations are so low no one's expecting anything from us let's just hand the keys luca we drafted luca and traded him for trey young yeah you know what i mean which is also this like interesting wrinkle which is like you know that kind of just feels like all right so like we now have a little narrative there. We mm-hmm. now can kind of track who made the right decision, what the right decision looks like in the first year, you know, it, all it, that kind of stuff. It's so cool that they just like handed the keys to the car to this kid. And they're like, all right, man, like just figure it out. Like you're going to make a bunch of mistakes. Don't worry about it. No one's expecting us to do anything special this year. Right. Shoot, right. shoot the lights out. And, uh, and it's been really cool. I feel like the last, I, I don't know, would you say like the last like two or three months, he sort of really found his confidence and his swagger? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that he had all of that, but he didn't know how to like he didn't know how to make it translate onto the court yeah like he was like really passive like he wasn't sure if he was a pass first point guard for a while then he was taking like rushed half court shots or like from the logo shots which he can make but like they, he didn't seem like he knew when to take them he just knew that like a player like him does and he's figured it all out which is why i would pitch that there's going to be like Luca should be the rookie of the year. Trey should be the rookie of the year. And like both parties are right. Mm-hmm. I would argue that Luca probably should win rookie of the year. And I think that Trey should win most improved. All right. So those are the Atlanta Hawks who are not in the playoffs, but let's talk about some current teams locked into playoff spots and some interesting plots and narratives developing around those teams. So the big one that I want to talk to you about is out in the West. And that is the Denver nuggets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, you know, I think, Bill, as, like, NBA fans, we become pretty familiar with certain, like, narratives and archetypes over the years of these, like, teams heading into the playoffs, whether it's, like, juggernaut teams like Jordan's Bulls or the Splash Brothers in Golden State, you know, these expectations. And then another ar- narrative or, or archetype is, like, the young, hungry team who's doing it for the first time. And I, I kind of mm-hmm. feel like that's what these nuggets are, right? They're, mm-hmm. like... They're young. They're the NBA's youngest roster that's in the playoffs. 
They're fun. They play mm. in up-tempo style. They're a collection of guys as opposed to like a more traditional uh, team with like, you know, one or two stars. They're really like an ensemble of, of role players. I'm wondering, yeah. Bill, are you at all nervous that the Nuggets might be vulnerable to an early playoff exit? Are you at all concerned about the Nuggets getting picked off in round one or two? Mm, yeah who would they who would they get are they they're currently the two so they're currently the two seed if the playoffs started today they would be facing the thunder um, oh, yeah. yeah i'd worry i'd worry about that yeah i'd worry about that for a number of reasons one you said i'm surprised you said that they are mm-hmm. the youngest roster heading yes. into the playoffs it's weird because they have old vibes mm-hmm. i feel like they have old vibes so like, the I nuggets know jamal murray is young yep. I, I assume Jokic is young but he has like a he could also be seventy. Yes, right? exactly. Yes, you know, I mean, like Jokic could be seventy. So, so the Nuggets are the only team in the playoffs. The Nuggets are the only team in the playoffs with an average age of under twenty-five years old. You know, they have it's these nuts. guys like Millsap and Jokic. You would just associate with like an old Serbian guy or something. And, but, and Millsap is forty-five to me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah, right, he's okay, been in the league forever. On. But like right. they, they actually the core he played with Vin Baker. Exactly. <laughs> the core of that team though the core of that team jamal murray you think about jamal murray will barton gary harris monte morris malik beasley these are young guys most of them have never even been in the playoffs before yeah Um, yeah i guess i can't really speak to i mean look they're the number two seed so they clearly are like know how to win and so they've proven it you know what i mean it's not even doesn't feel like there should be a subjective like layer on top of that they've clearly proven it but you know there is something to be said for i guess playoff experience you know like paul george and russell westbrook and sam they've they've been in the playoffs a bunch so that's kind of scary the one thing i would say is that a lot of them feel like similar type players yes uh, like the malik beasley's and the monty morris all the same and, guy right barton will yeah, barton i mean yeah. yeah i mean again they've made it work so I, I shouldn't be one to critique but i would say that if a team can figure out you know the right scheme to kind of eliminate you know like a certain type of player or a certain type of tempo that they play I feel like, you know, then then it comes down to superstars, you know, playoffs more more often than not are like, who's the transcendent star that just like takes the playoffs over like Golden State has been a bit of an anomaly. But before that, it's like there's usually one identifiable. Well, the best player in the league won the championship that year. And is it Jokic? I mean, like he's like he's like a triple double waiting to happen and like he can get you the stats and all that. But like, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. I think that they're definitely, though. Like there's some, you know, th- there's some potential there's something there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, so, like I could uh, see Westbrook and Paul George exactly. just playing on a different level, you know, but I could also be extremely wrong. Is Here's my thought process. I mean, the Nuggets have been the one or the two seed in the loaded Western conference for most of the yeah. year. Right. And so sure. they're, they're led, their star attraction is their big man, Nikola Jokic, who's seven feet tall and averages, you know, 20 points, 11 rebounds, almost eight assists a game. Uh, they're getting huge contributions from, you know, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, you know, uh, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, uh, Mason Plumley, Millsap. Um, that said, I shout I, out to the Plum. Shout out to the Plum. Shout out to the Plum. The Absolutely. Love the Plum. And Love there, the Plum's game. Do we know how many Plums there are in the NBA at, at, at current? Are there three or are there I four? I would say it's approximately 
uh, the same number as how many plumbers are <laughs> circling my between four and eight hundred. Yes, yeah. Um, yes. So, do we think that? I, I just wonder. You know, the Nuggets are sixth in the NBA in rebounds per game. They're second uh-huh. in assists per game. Do we think that mm-hmm. stuff translates in the postseason? Are we all concerned about like you know Jamal Murray squaring off against like some of the best point guards in the Western Conference? Whether it's Russell Westbrook, if they play the Thunder, if they play the Jazz, he's going to be squaring off against you know probably. Donovan Mitchell, right? right. Um, yeah, I, I guess it comes down to if they do get the Thunder, the Thunder are actually uniquely, I think Thunder might be, it's either Thunder or the Warriors um, are the best defenders against the opponent, other teams' guards. Uh, so that would kind of be a bit of a challenge for a team that feels very guard heavy in Denver. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's like also with the playoffs, it's like there's such a different feeling when even us fans watch playoff basketball, it's like, oh, this is what it looks like when they play defense for 48 Exactly. Minutes. You know what I mean? Yep. And like that clamp down defense, it's, that's almost like revealed a little bit more. But to know that Oklahoma City is one of the best, best, even in the regular season, at shutting down the opponent, other team's guards, I imagine that Russell Westbrook and those dudes can clamp it down one step further, you know, and I, and let's see which teams can rise to the challenge. You know? Benches get short. They always say the benches get shorter, right? Player Players, your opponents, they play harder. No one takes any nights off in terms of effort. And it's right. just like lockdown defense. And I think what, what I'm maybe a little concerned about with the Nuggets is like, do they have a go-to five-man lineup, you know, when they're playing against the Jazz or the Thunder that's when they're matching up against the likes of Paul George and, and Russell Westbrook or Donovan Mitchell, Ricky Rubio and Rudy Gobert, you know, like I, right. I'm not right. sure. I'm not sure that they do, frankly. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like in order to like beat a Warriors team or any of those teams, like I feel like you're not going to have a bigger star or a star that could actually take out four stars on Golden State. So what you actually probably need is like such a great dyna- team dynamic, such a dynamic that works so well that against like, any offense or defense, yours will work. You know, it's like, and, you know, maybe that is actually who this team is, you know, because they're second, like you said, they're second in the stacked West, yeah, you know, incredible. and like, yeah. it's like they they did that, you know, so it's like, and they, while Jokic is the man, you know, it's like, they don't have like four stars on their team that, you know, should get them that high up. So maybe they do play this, level of team ball that you know has gotten them this far so who knows i really you know anyone's guess it, it would be pretty unprecedented if they are able to advance but i'm certainly excited to see if they can do it um let's right. hop over to the eastern conference so um this podcast is going to come out monday morning billy and our conversation will be happening at this point a few days ago when by the time this podcast comes out but currently there are five teams in the East vying for the final three playoff spots. And they're Mm. all separated by two and a half games. So that's the the Nets, the Pistons, the Magic, the Heat, and the Hornets. They're all vying. That feels right. Yeah. They're all vying (laughs) for the sixth, seventh, and eighth seeds. I feel like that is every single year. Like, tell me those teams (laughs) haven't had the 16th pick in the draft for the last 400 years. I know. I know. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I want to look at the remaining schedules together and try to handicap the race for the sixth, seventh, and eighth seeds. So the remaining schedules, let me know if one of these schedules sounds easiest, sounds like more difficult than another. Uh, So the Nets face off against um, the 76ers, the Celtics, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Bucks again, the Pacers, and the Heat. I mean... That is brutal. Yeah, brutal. brutal. There's only one. There's only one like win on that, and that's exactly. Miami. The Pistons square off against the Magic, 
the Blazers, the Pacers, the Pacers again, the Thunder, and the Hornets. Okay, three winnable games. Yep, the Magic face off against the Pistons, the Pacers, the Raptors, the Knicks, the Hawks, and the Celtics. Three winnable games. Yep, the Heat face the Mavs, the Knicks, the Celtics, the Celtics again, the Wolves, and the Raptors. Okay, and then the, And then the Hornets square off against the Lakers, Warriors, Jazz, Pelicans, Raptors, and Pistons. I mean, there's no team that has like five of six wins on the schedule. You know what I mean? So so there's something to be said for that. No one has that easy a path. No. And if it's a two and a half game plus minus between all these teams, it's like anyone's guess. Let me good. ask you this. who uh, who Who's the best team of this bunch? Is it the Nets, mm-hmm. Pistons, Magic, Heat, or Hornets? Schedule aside, if you had to pick one team, who's playing the best basketball right now? Right now? Yeah. I mean, Brooklyn has really been yep, good. Yep, yep. Brooklyn's yep. been good. I, I don't fear Brooklyn, but we're talking about bad teams. We're saying who's the yep. best of the bad. Yep. You know, so it's like, like, I feel like in Detroit's in there too. Like, Detroit's guards are bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate to say it, like, because I own most of them. <laughs> but, like, like Reggie Jackson and E. Smith aren't going to get your team, no. you know, quote unquote, next level. No. Um, I mean, Drummond is having a banana season. Like, Blake. Drummond might be the most. The, like the best talent of all of those teams, maybe D'Lo, may, Blake, maybe. Did Blake's you have good, Blake, but not did you great. Have Blake on your fantasy team? Oh yeah, every every year, all the time. Oh, it's okay. just I don't, you know those players where you're just like, <laughs> I got him again. Yep, like this they just should always... guarantee me the five. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, yep. this will not win me the league, but here we are. Again. Here yeah, we so are. That's my Blake. Yeah. Um. So I would probably, I would say, from a narrative standpoint, you'd obviously want Miami to get in. Yeah. Right? Like, let yeah. me give me one more playoff weight. Sure. You know what one, I mean? One give me one more playoff weight. Why not? Yeah. You know, yeah. like none of those teams. Um, Orlando is like they're great of like on like the first night of a back to back, and then they lose by seventy the next <laughs> night. Like, so they're like clearly yeah. like we can do it a little, but like over the course of a seven game series, they don't deserve to be there. So I would say Brooklyn is my brain and my heart says Miami. Okay, great. Let's talk about the Nets for a second. You know, the Nets have found a way to bounce back from injuries all season. You know, like Mm -hmm. specifically, I think of Levert and Spencer Dinwiddie. And as a Knicks Mm -hmm. fan, Billy, like, (laughs) I got to admit it, I'm kind of ashamed to, I got to, I'm ashamed to admit this, but the Nets are good and they're really fun to watch. They're really, really fun. Do you feel like the same Mets-Yankees rivalry between the Knicks and the Nets? No. I do not. Do you feel a, a shade? Do you even feel a shade of that where it's like, damn, they're better than us? I don't feel that for some reason. I don't. I like, think I'm, it's also because we're pathetic. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who are we to like have any feelings on any subject when it comes to basketball? Like the fact that I'm even opining on your yes. podcast feels like should be illegal because I'm a Knicks fan. <laughs> it's like we're yes. that pathetic. Yes. You know, so it's like, good. yeah. Brooklyn. Oh no, I'm I'm just happy for them. I mean, like I I mean, like I I wish I could say there was a real rivalry or something, but I don't feel the way about the Yankees. I don't like the way I feel about the Yankees is like I loathe the Yankees as a Mets fan, but I don't feel that mm. way about the Nets. You know, like no, I'm, I'm, and like um, and we also love Brooklyn. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, it's like, it's I lived like in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. I'm happy for Brooklyn. Happy. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Yes, it's like yes. so. I'm not, I'm fine. Like yeah, give us some wins somewhere. For Christ's sake, we're New York City. So, like somewhere. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> God. So D'Angelo Russell has really grown into like a star player. He's a difference maker. He's clutch. He's matured. Um, I think the Brooklyn experience, leaving Los Angeles, catching heat from from Magic Johnson and the process of that whole thing. Magic like questioned his leadership has been really good for D'Angelo. It's like galvanized him. I'm wondering mm. like. But like, can we just remember mm-hmm. that he also took a video of his friend 
<laughs> Swaggy like his P. His friend was admitting Swaggy P yeah. was to him confessing um, some infidelities. That's but right. he wasn't just confessing them. D'Angelo Russell was coaxing them out of him and also secretly videoing him. And then he like posted it and it's like, that's Get pretty, out of my city. Yeah, that's Get pretty out of nuts. My city. That's you pretty know what nuts. I mean? Like, he's bananas. <laughs> seemingly better than Lonzo. Wish he was still a Laker if you're a Laker fan. Yeah. But, like, you do that and you're in my friend circle, you're out of my friend yeah, circle. Yeah, you're out you're of the You're gone, dude. You're, you're gone. You're out of the friend so, like, circle. He's, yeah. So, for, he's had a lot of big games this season. Yes. But, like, yes. also, let's not forget. He like he got kicked out of LA. Well, they didn't uh, just. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm hoping that he's matured. I think that maybe he has matured. He does seem to be a better teammate. His teammates in Brooklyn seem to like the guy. Um, I'm wondering. Imagine doing that to a center. Like oh, he did that God. to Swaggy P. Imagine doing that to a center. Drummond. If I'm a, Imagine if, if you did that to Andre Drummond. <laughs> I would. I would turn you in. I would flatten you like a pancake. I, like yeah. so, the fact that he's still like with us still in the nba <laughs> like that was cold-blooded what's the corvetti story about punching the trash can and it falling on top of someone that's what i would oh, imagine man. a center would do oh, like man. with to just like put him in a trash can and squash him my friend my best friend has superhuman strength and yeah. he, that means that his father also does yeah and that sounds silly but it's also true and maybe <laughs> some people know these type of people they just simply have superhuman strength and yeah. odd things happen to them right my friend was being bullied at a young age uh, by a big tough bully on our block i'll leave him nameless but mm-hmm. he's known in rockville center long island uh he run, my friend runs into his house as the bully is chasing him and he says, dad, dad, this bully is coming after me. The dad walks out of the house and the bully sees the dad in our town. It's known that this dad also has superhuman strength. The bully starts running away down the block in the opposite direction. Well, the father, Mr. Corvetti decides to start chasing him because (laughs) not my son, not today. The bully grabs an aluminum garbage can and throws it in the opposite direction behind him (laughs) to try and throw Mr. Corvetti off of the path. Mr. Corvetti doesn't flinch. He punches that garbage can directly back in the opposite direction. It does a few rotations and lands on the bully's head. Amazing. He's stuck. He's captured. And that happened in my hometown. <laughs> that uh, That is such a satisfying story. That is such a satisfying story. Yeah. So I imagine that sort of thing might happen to D'Angelo Russell if he ever messed yeah. with a center in terms of videotaping stories of infidelity. Um, I think Stephen Adams is punching a garbage can on D'Angelo Russell. If that's, that's right. That's right. Yes. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, back to the Nets, though. So I, I think uh, I was thinking about you know this incredible comeback that D'Angelo led the Nets to, I guess a week or so ago against the Kings. It was it was James Harden esque. I mean, D'Angelo scored twenty seven points in the fourth quarter. And yeah. I'm wondering, like, do you think all the positive mojo that's now surrounding the Nets does does that sort of thing? actually matter in free agency as teams look to improve themselves in the offseason like does it mm. is it possible kevin durant or kyrie irving chooses to sign with the nets uh, over the knicks because of you mm. know some of the the goodwill that they've generated here no i don't think so i think that that matters when the season is happening right and i think that matters like when you need to get a big win tomorrow i right. think that the teams that play for one another get that big win because they can channel that next thing but i think that when you're talking about a person's money yeah. and potential fame and pot- like potential for what a location and history and dynasty can do for them i don't think they care that like you know, these guys all get along yeah. and go bowling. Or they're a you know fun, I mean? scrappy I th- group, yeah. Now, I think that the money's too big now, where it's like, I'm not looking for a good time, because these contracts aren't for one year. Yeah. These contracts are for, like, 
my foreseeable second and third acts of yes. my career. Yes. You know what I yep. mean? Yep. And yep. so yep. unless Brooklyn is like one piece away from like being a title contender, um, I don't think that anyone is like, you know, being swayed the same way that gotcha. like Madison Square Garden. Yep. You know, it's just yep. a different level. Broadway. It's just, Broadway. Yeah. yeah. It's it's and it's bullshit to a certain extent, but it's like not for these guys because we're talking about millions of dollars yep. in endorsement deals and what that could mean. You yep. Know I mean? Yep. So, yep. All right, Bill. So yeah. by the time the pod drops, we will be a few days into baseball season. So um, first things first, we had a fantasy baseball draft last night. Right. Um, any takeaways from that experience? How did, how did, it, how did you feel that it went personally? Right. I felt like woefully underprepared, but also right. like you're drafting baseball pitchers and prospects. And that's like as much of a crapshoot as anything. So I don't know. Right. So What's like your, the last your few takeaway? Months, the last few months, you know, like call it like six, seven months ago, we all had a fantasy football draft. And I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty widely agreed that fantasy football drafts are the best drafts. Like, it's just like, it's a very small roster and it's just very impactful. And I, I, I find it to be the most fun and like the most like, this is where it all began. Then there's, we had the fantasy basketball draft after that. And we're all pretty savvy when it comes to NBA. There's not a lot of NBA players left that we don't know at this point. And so like, you can really, it feels like that's one where you can almost like let your expertise shine. You know what I mean? And I think there's like a little more like flexing on that. And then there's the baseball draft, and we did it yesterday, and it felt like I went into a 12-round fight with my hands tied. <laughs> and I was just getting, like, punched. Like, every next name, I was like, who the hell is, like, Joel Moncado? He's going in the third round? Like, I'm still, like, looking for Barry Bonds. <laughs> like, yeah. so I felt like it was it was very humbling. And sometimes that's nice because sports fans sometimes think they know everything. But right. It was very humbling to realize how little I know about baseball oh, these God. days. Oh, God. Like, is Mike Piazza still there? I don't. Like, I was, like, get... desperate. <laughs> for, for Piazza to be available on the wire. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a, guy th- named, there's a guy named Malik Smith Malik on the Smith. Seattle Mariners. He plays for and the like, Mariners. Jesus. Yeah, and he like, he got drafted. Like yeah. someone was like, "Yes, like I know Malik Smith. Yep. I know what he's going to bring to my team." I'm like, "Someone picked the Maliks? Jesus. Yeah. One thing I always remember about the fantasy baseball draft uh, is it is long. I mean, our league we have we have a four keeper. We we our, each GM keeps four keepers on their team in this league, and there are twenty one roster spots, and there are twelve wow. there are twelve GMs. So yeah. that that means it mimics the ex, the season long experience. Yes, it's so long. That means twelve teams are going seventeen rounds of draft picks. I mean, which is just insane. And at I feel some like it's point, common practice. I feel like it's common practice for anyone who is in a fantasy baseball league that when they bring it up in common conversation they're like i'm in a fantasy baseball league and then it's in common practice that you almost have to say it's such a marathon after that it feels like you're legally obliged to have to say it's such a marathon no i think another thing you have to uh, legally acknowledge is this uh like the thing you always say is like you know man like the draft is fine but it's all about the waiver wire you know it's all about it's all about snagging yeah it's all about those first few weeks you know got to identify talent yep but meanwhile it is like such like an alcoholics like like just like trying to like say like no it's cool there's just like a path this is just like the journey I'm on this is just the journey I'm on it's like yeah this is bad for you this is a little <laughs> sick in the head yeah this is a little sick in the head all right yeah. well Bill before I let you go uh, let's talk quickly about the Mets what is our so so the odds to win the NL East are mm. the Nationals are plus one fifty the Phillies are plus two ten the Braves are plus two seventy five the Mets are plus 
375, and the Marlins are plus 10,000. So what's the best huh. case for the Mets winning the NL East? Arms. Yep. Just arms. Yeah. Just throwing the ball. Like if, if someone, whatever sprinkled on Jacob DeGrom last year can sprinkle down to our number four pitcher, I mean, like, just stay in every game, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's it. That's what we're invested in. DeGrom like have, coming off the Cy Young, right? Syndergaard, like, just, like, steadying the ship. You know what I mean? He's got all the tools. Now it's just pitching 28 games. You know what I mean? He's got all the tools. Yeah. I mean, like, and if it can, like, just trickle down to Wheeler and Mats and a few other guys, like, just that's it. I think that's our that's our puncher's chance. Edwin Diaz closing out games. Yeah. I mean, like, let's see. It's, it's the type of thing. We're not going to beat teams 9-7. to seven. You know, like, we, we're not going to score more than five runs most games. That's just like, I think that's a, a very safe expectation for the Mets. We boosted our lineup, but I don't think you should expect to outscore teams. I think yeah. the Mets' path to winning is pitching. Period. It's pitching. Totally, it's pitching. And, you know, our lineup, it might not be like a slugger's lineup, but it's sneaky long. I mean, guys like mm-hmm. Cano, McNeil, mm-hmm. Pete Alonzo, mm-hmm. they, right. they, they have Alonzo on the opening day roster. Um, you know, say like that. Conforto. Say those three names to any other team's fan base, and they'll laugh at you. Yes, exactly. I need you to understand perspective in this matter. Like, <laughs> you, like we, we, the Mets fans, who that was only Jeff losing Jeff and pathetic McNeil. lineups. Yeah, you name dropped Jeff McNeil as, and you called our roster long. Yeah. So you pretty much cur- yeah. agreed with me that we're not going to outscore. The no. Team. <laughs> yeah. Please go through go through some of the other names because no. we're not that pathetic. We no. aren't that. Pathetic. No. Um. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, Conforto. We have Juan Lagares. Uh, who else am I missing? Um, You're not missing much, and I mean this with love Rosario. Respect. Yeah, I mean, sure. yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, Is so we're Dom Smith in it. Uh, yeah, Dom Smith might be in there. We're not, we're not hitting a ton of home runs, but I think the lineup is long. Point being is the the key to uh, to to our team this year to winning the NL East is going to be those arms. Um, yeah. So, and I think one sneaky thing that like we also have to rely on, like has to go right. I think that like uh, like this is like a thing that'll probably get overlooked. We need Familia to be awesome. Oh yeah. We need Familia, Jaris Familia, to be an awesome setup guy. Yep. Yep. Like he he was like a bit shaky uh, towards his like tail end of his career as a Mets closer, and then he got kind of like traded around, and maybe he had some like bad things happen yes. uh, along the way. But yes. he's back here. And like we just need him to be a dominant eighth inning guy. I think because he's got if that's it in the him. case, yeah, I mean he he can. We need to see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like we'll see. But if he can be dominant, if we can have the like first six or seven innings covered by a great staff and then just go Familia Diaz done. Like that's again, like I think that it really is going to come down to like our arms doing what they might be able to really do. Like it's not crazy to think Degrom can come close to what he did last year. I think Syndergaard so, could win the the Cy Young. I mean, I, I or I think Degrom could win it again. You know, for that matter too. I mean, I think that the pitching staff really could be special. I mean, all these guys yeah. went 150 innings last year. Um, Zach Wheeler, I think, could have. You know, he could be on the verge of a breakout campaign. Steven Matz, we've been waiting forever for him to finally just put it all together. And, right. um, you know, so like the so counter, we'll the joke I made about you saying McNeil, like those, those batters will not, th- those are not common names and they will not scare anybody. <laughs> no. But like, I, but like if people don't know who Zach Wheeler is or Steven Matz is, or about pitchers, it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would stand by that. that yep. Like these guys are actually the real deal. Yeah. And it's like, they're going to be, if they reach their potential, they will be household names. And like, I would stand by that. And that's why I think that like the pitching is where our real talent lies. Yep. And that needs to be 
that needs to be at the top of its game. There's going to be long stretches where we can't hit the ball. But, like, we need our pitchers to give up four runs or less. It's going to be fun. Billy, um, the NBA playoffs are right around the corner here. The MLB season is now underway. Thanks for hopping on the pod, man. This is so much fun. I look forward to talking to you over what I think should be a really interesting next few months. Yeah, man. Happy to do it. All right. Talk to you soon, Bill. Later, Dubs. All right. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Billy Scafuri. My name is Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at me at line underscore pod. Find me on Instagram. Check out previous episodes on our website, onthelinepodcast.com. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show and stitch your iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Enjoy the NCAA tournament. Enjoy the, uh, the baseball season beginning. Enjoy the uh, end of the NBA season. The playoffs are right around the corner, and I will talk to you guys next week.